0: occurred to me this week that this series that we're in, Rediscovering a Life of Adventure, uh, really is synonymous for rediscovering uh, Christianity, because Christianity is a life of adventure. When it's truly lived, when it's biblically lived, when it's lived the way Jesus intended for it to be lived, to talk about Christianity and then talk about a life of adventure is actually redundant. It's just that the Christianity that we've become acquainted with and even have Endorsed, sadly, is not at all adventurous. It's overwhelmingly safe and careful. It doesn't knock down any new doors or break any windows that really should be broken or build anything that uh, is very risky to build sometimes. But that's not true Christianity. Christianity is a life of adventure, but we do need to rediscover that life. Kind of get refueled uh, in our faith. And we're walking through the book of Exodus, not exhaustively, but from the front to the back, some movement through the book, and learning from moments of adventure in that book. What can we learn about adventure? What kind of observations uh, can we make from some of the great people, in particular Moses, uh, in the book of Exodus that teach us about this life of adventure? And this morning. I've entitled this message, this application of that rediscovery of the life of adventure, the excuses that try to tame us. Because a life of adventure is a wild life. It's not a tame life. Excuses that try to tame us. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 4. In a moment, I'm going to read the text that we're looking at. And so, if you want to read along in a Bible as I read, you can grab one of the Bibles that's underneath the seat in front of you and find Exodus chapter four toward the front of your Bible, second book in the Bible. But we'll also have that text in a moment up on the screen from Exodus chapter four. If you were here a handful of weeks ago, uh, you may have been here on the. It may have been the Sunday that we celebrated the ministry of one of our really faithful. Uh, friends and servants Eliana Ely. Eliana for years has done just about everything there is to be done in this church and then and then quietly done even more uh, but she has been involved in our music ministry several different iterations of that and we thought man we want to we want to just publicly thank her and have some fun uh, with her. She continues on in the church and he, she and her husband Doug uh, continue to be really involved they're not going anywhere but said, so come on up here Eliana and we some of you here that week, we gave her some gifts. You know, we gave her, uh, we gave her a book. We gave her a, a, a bit of a challenging book. Uh, she was here for First, first Gathering. I asked her how she was doing. She said she's halfway through that book. Uh, and so I said, you're, then you're as confused as I am by uh, reading that uh, book. Uh, but it's a good good book. And we gave her uh, a utilitarian gift. Eliana has sometimes she works so much on her computer or playing the piano that her wrist hurt. And so we gave her a little foot pedal attachment to go with her computer that helped her transpose and compose and all kinds of music. And 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 we gave them we gave them symphony tickets, which I'm sure they love. But we also gave Eliana a gift that we weren't quite sure she would use. In fact, on that Sunday, I cautioned her. I said, Eliana, I'm going to be checking eBay, and I do not want to see Craigslist, eBay, anything. This gift show up for sale there. We want you to use it. The gift that we gave them, the fourth gift we gave them, was not only lunch in the Napa Valley, but the lunch went with uh, a hot air balloon, an unfettered hot air balloon ride. Uh, through the Napa Valley. Now, Eliana has probably already worn out the foot pedal. I'm sure she's using it like crazy, arranging songs on her computer. And there's no way she and Doug are going to miss out on an opportunity to go to the symphony or the opera or any other artistic musical expression for that matter. We know that she's reading the book and enjoying the book, and I can't wait to talk with her uh, about some of her thoughts on the book that she and I are both working through. But on that fourth gift, she actually has a really good excuse for not going on the hot air balloon ride. I mean, for skipping that part and going straight to the lunch. When we found this gift for Eliana and gave the gift to Eliana, some knew, but I didn't know that she had a great excuse for not using it because like me and many of you, I'm sure, she has a significant level of um, like discomfort when it comes to heights. She, she actually said it's quite, quite a strong discomfort. She's afraid of heights. She's uncomfortable uh, in heights. And so the idea of her stepping into a basket and then cutting the ropes loose and letting that big balloon take her up. I don't know how high those things go. They can go pretty high. And just depend upon the wind to move her from here to there and then land it safely. And she would get involved in that. She would actually take us up on that gift. Well, like I said, she has some really good excuses, at least one, for not being a part of that. Haven't you found yet in life... That every adventure comes with excuses, even reasonable excuses. In fact, it may be that most of the excuses that come attached to most of the adventures that are laid across our paths are, in fact, reasonable. They make sense. They're based in reason, when you really think about it. These are excuses that try to bring you back to your senses. Uh, you don't want to enter that race. You're slow. Is that and, and it may be a fact, but this adventure that you could go on, there's some fact that comes as, a, as an excuse not to go on the adventure. These excuses are based in reason and sometimes they're there to help you come to your senses and sometimes they actually help you make a more reasonable choice or at least make you aware of the risk you're choosing when you choose to go on a particular adventure to a particular university or take a new job or reach out to a neighbor in a different way or whatever it might be, the little mini adventure or grand adventure uh, that you're going. But they're also excuses that are designed to tame us to keep us from being wild in the best and most healthy sense of the word. Have you learned that yet? Have you found that every adventure comes with attendant excuses? And the excuses actually, most of the time, make complete sense? I sure have. In fact, even some of the greatest names, perhaps all of the greatest names in biblical history, have learned that. This isn't a new phenomenon. The excuses I'm talking about usually come under two or three headings. We're going to just look at a couple of them today. And uh, we're going to look at some of these excuses as exemplified by Moses. Remember the background of Moses. He's born into a Hebrew family during Hebrew captivity in Egypt. And the Hebrew children are to be put to death because they're Hebrew people are growing too much. But Moses is rescued. He's, and he's raised and adopted and then raised in a royal family. Uh, and then one day, he got a little older. He must have been at least a teenager. Uh, he goes and he sees somebody abusing one of the Hebrew slaves. And he's enraged by that. Uh, and he, a Hebrew child raised in Egyptian royalty, and therefore sits at dinner at the, with, in the royal family's uh, uh, dining room, kills the Egyptian that's oppressing or hurting or whipping the uh, Hebrew slave, and buries him in a shallow grave, and he has to leave. He's exiled. And in exile, decades later, he's addressed by God, and God says, now here's what I want you to do. I have heard the prayers of my people who are in bondage, and I've decided to come down and respond to their prayers, and deliver them from their oppression, God says, so therefore, Moses, you go and deliver them. And that's the adventure that God lays in the lap of Moses. And Moses, just like us, comes up with some reasonable excuses that give cause for him to no longer be that wild, trying to tame him. Let's uh, read the text. And this is Moses' response right after God offers that challenge to him from Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Verse 1, would you stand, please, for the reading of God's word today? So God gives him this challenge, and in verse 1 of Exodus 4, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me when I say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is it that's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, so, you know, like a, like a shepherd's staff or, or rod. A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses did what we would have done. He ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take the snake by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake And it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he just keeps stacking. The history that can give Moses confidence has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your your coat, your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, His skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some." this is all still an answer to the question, but what if they won't believe that you spoke to me, right? If they won't believe that, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Isn't it I? The Lord, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else, which is Hebrew for whatever. (laughs) May God add his blessing to his holy word, his fully inspired and wholly trustworthy message to us. Go ahead and take your seats. The excuses that try to tame us. The excuses that always come attached to the great adventures that are offered to us. They're normal, by the way. Anytime your heart is challenged and stirred to go someplace new uh, in life, to step out where you're not comfortable. Take a new job. Take a new spouse. We I met people this morning at the Have We Met table afterward. By the way, it's there for you too if you're new to our church and want to learn more about Marin Covenant. Take a minute and come on over there. I'd love to meet you there. But some folks came over and it was our second time worshiping with us and they were in their first gathering. And uh, I said, well, what brought you out to Marin? Where are you from? Well, we're from Texas. Oh, cool. Well, we just moved here from Florida. Uh, what brought you out? A job? No, they, he said. Actually, an adventure. <laughs> what do you mean? We just decided to go on a road trip, uh, and we ended up out here. And it was so beautiful, we decided let's just move here. And uh, so he said, it was really a sense of adventure. So we we went back to Florida, rented out our condo, moved out here. Uh, we got a job while we were on the road trip. Came on back out here and. Thought we'd find a church, and we found a church, and here we are. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. Remember the days when you could fit everything you owned in your car that barely ran? And that was kind of a crazy time, but it was also sort of an exciting time. I remember that, being able to take it. But with every adventure comes an excuse, and that's normal. And those excuses are usually based in fact and even Reason. The trick is to real, and so sometimes those excuses are there to help you reevaluate. Am I ready for this adventure? What are the costs of this adventure? Am I still going to go on it? But they're also there, and at least potentially effective, to rob you of that sense of wild excitement that is so normal for Christianity to tame us. And those excuses usually show up in uh, a handful of. Under a handful of topics, we're going to look at a couple of them this morning that Moses experiences and reveals to us. Here's the first one. Those excuses that are designed to tame us when adventure is right there waiting for us often will be excuses that attack our sense of credibility. You know, it's, it's, the, it's that, that the fear that our past has completely destroyed our future. Me going on that adventure, that's a noble quest. I'm not credible. It just doesn't feel right. The way I've lived in the past, how could I possibly even dare to think that God says, here, come with me here. Walk this trail. Walk this path. Invest yourself in this cause, in this moment. Moses experienced that. You look at verse 1 and that's what's going on. Moses, who did not leave Egypt under the best of circumstances the last time he was there. Moses, who did nothing to enhance his credibility there when he went back, hadn't been back. The Lord says, go back to Egypt, deliver those millions of people from slavery. Go back to the most powerful leaders in the most powerful nation in the world and basically tell them to undo the foundation for their economy and let all of that free labor go. And I'll be with you. And Moses says what I would have said. Here am I, Lord. Send Ben. You know, I mean, send anybody but me. And he offers this excuse for not doing it that's based in his questioning, his credibility. In verse 1, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you, Moses. sure didn't look like he was appearing to you and speaking to you last time you were here. Addressing, attacking his sense of credibility. The fear that our past has completely destroyed our future. So Moses is saying, what if no one will believe me? Besides, why should they believe me? How dare I think that I'm going to do something so great when you consider my past? Today we still use that excuse. We just have different language for it. Here's what that same excuse that attacks our sense of credibility might sound like today. Uh, But I've lived a duplistic life, or I'm going to look like a hypocrite if I launch out into that adventure. You don't understand how I've lived in the past. I I can be in the building, I can be a part of the church, I guess I can be a Christian, but you know what, the way I've lived and some of the things I've been involved with in the past, they relegate me to the back row, the shadows of the room, I'll come along, I'll quietly support, but I have to be in the back of the line. I certainly cannot be involved aggressively, publicly, in any radical, life-changing, world-altering, certainly, adventure. We might say, but no one will believe I've actually changed. And I felt a little bit of that right after I became a Christian. I was so excited to have finally found a way to make sense of life and given the control of my life to Jesus and began to pattern my life after Jesus and all new life habits and I'm doing all kinds of things I never did before. I'd be upstairs for hours reading my Bible, and my dad was getting a little nervous about how much time I was spending doing all this stuff. And don't even get me started about the decision to become a pastor. That raised a few eyebrows. And then you go to your friends, and they say, Hey, Greg, we're having this party. And I was almost 21, right? So uh, when I turned 21, a bunch of my buddies... We had history together. Said, so we're throwing you a great big party on your 21st birthday. We're getting this keg, and we're getting this, and we're getting that, and we got this. And I said, no, you guys, I can't do that. What? What's going on with you? Well, you know, I told them, I've become a Christian, and I want to live differently. And you know what their answer was? Oh, we want to live differently too, Art. Tell us about it. No. They said, what? Man, if ever you needed a drink, it's now, Greco. What are you talking about? we're having a party. Yeah, right, was their answer. Because you feel like, oh man, I'll look like a hypocrite. You get to the point when this excuse that attacks our sense of credibility is employed, where you, you start to believe my yesterday has sabotaged my tomorrow forever and ever and ever who in the world would ever believe me because of the things I used to be involved in, the man or the woman I used to be? I felt that a little bit uh, a week ago Friday out in uh, uh, Santanella when we were doing the committal service for my mom. I'm standing next to my mom's casket and reading from the book of worship. References to things like the sure and certain hope of resurrection. Talking about new life in Christ and the hope that he brings and how Jesus can change things. And And I'm speaking, though, to my extended family. It's one thing to talk like that here. We didn't grow up together. But my cousins are there. I did unspeakable stuff with my cousins. I'm in and I wish God would wipe my memory. You know what I'm talking about? There were, there were some things that we were involved with that were not good at any level. And they remember them, and some of my cousins have never really launched themselves from that kind of a lifestyle. And I, I can just see them. I could just hear what was going on in their heads. Hearing their cousin, my family name is Tiger, so the, their cousin Tiger is up there wearing a coat and tie now, talking about this. Ah, eh, right, but I remember when... Man, did I ever feel like a hypocrite or potentially, and, and potentially, there was, uh, there was um, I, I almost uh, trimmed back what I was saying because of that. Eh, maybe I shouldn't be so aggressive. Maybe I shouldn't be so clear. I don't know if I want to say that because my cousins are here and they're hearing it and man, they know we grew up together. they know my aunts and uncles are standing right over there, going like this year, right. The excuse to not go on that small adventure. the idea that yesterday has sabotaged tomorrow for me. Excuses that attack our sense of credibility. Moses experienced that, and then God gives him this great, big, inspiring multi-level response. And in the middle, I don't know if you pick up on this or not, but as we read through, in the middle of God giving that response, Moses has had enough. And he actually interrupts God. You pick up on that? Uh, Now put it back in your coat, God says. So Moses put his hand back in his coat, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of the flesh. Then the Lord said, If they don't believe me, you on account of those things, get some water, pour it on the ground. It's going to become like blood from the Nile. Uh, The water you take from the river will be like blood on the ground. And then in the middle of that, Moses says, Hold on a second. I I stutter. He interrupts God. And comes up with yet another excuse. It's another kind of excuse that tends to try to tame us. The first were excuses that attack our sense of credibility. Second, excuses that exploit our lack of confidence. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. That makes sense. I mean, you think if you're going to go to the strongest family in the strongest nation of the world and say, undo your entire economic system by releasing all of these slaves, as free labor you have. You would be able to speak with some eloquence. And Moses grew up bilingual. Maybe he's saying, I used to speak their language, but that's been 40 years or so now. I'm not, I never was that good at it then, and I'm not so good at it now, and I'm trying to be bilingual here, but I'm not really great, and I'm going to have to have a translator. You might want to pick somebody else. I am not competent for this challenge. Excuses that exploit our lack of confidence. The conviction that there is no way we could ever make a difference on that particular adventure. Moses says, okay. But even if you address the credibility issue with your power, and they believe me that you sent me, the fact is I'm just not equipped to do this thing. And that was even reasonable. He wasn't. I don't have the tools to succeed in this adventure. I'm not competent to do this. That was the way Moses expressed that doubt. It sounds different today. Here are some of the ways that that same doubt sounds today. Yeah, it's not my gift, it's not my calling, God hasn't called me to that. Or even this, the idea that the pitiful contribution I could make to that particular task will make no difference at all. Excuses that exploit our lack of confidence. I could offer so little to that adventure. Might as well not even show up. Might as well not even take the first step down that trail. I just have nothing to offer it. Aren't you glad the boy with the loaves and fishes and the gospels on that day that Jesus fed thousands didn't have that attitude? What in, the, in fact, one of the apostles that took the, the gift from the boy did have that attitude. There's a boy over, Jesus, how are we going to feed so many thousands of people? We have no food. And one of the apostles says, there's a boy over here with a lunch, some loaves and fishes, but what is that to so many? It could never even make a difference. That's an excuse not even to try. But that little guy says, I don't have any idea how this is going to make a dent in that task but I'll give you the little I have. Go ahead. He did not employ the excuse that was reasonable and obvious to him. An excuse based in logic. And boy, did God ever do something with that gift. God, I'm convinced, waits for the day, longs for the day when his people discover the power, the effect, the profound difference can be made by a lot of people doing their humble, seemingly irrelevant part all at the same time over a long period of time. Now that's a powerful effect. That's an adventure worth taking. But there's this excuse That wants to keep us tame quiet and safe until we rediscover that my contribution doesn't seem like it's all that much but boy when it's linked with a hundred other people making an equally humble faithful contribution whether it's a contribution of the way we live a merciful life Give an abundant gift, financial gift, the contribution of the forgiveness that we tend to offer, the justice for which we stand, the things we will no longer tolerate. When enough people decide to do the little they can do and then partner that, there's quite a difference that gets made in a community. I mean, just just think of if, if, if only the people who are part of the Marin Covenant community, and nobody else even did anything but all of us said... <laughs> but uh, monday tomorrow just for one day all of us are not going to respond to things that aren't so great with something else that's not so great we're going to respond with grace and every single one of us did that just tomorrow think of the impact that would make I mean the potential for impact even long term impact god's waiting for his church to realize man my little peace added to your little peace and us faithfully over a long period of time offering our small peace in response to whatever adventure He has us on makes a huge difference. But until then, I'm not able, it's not my calling, and I can't possibly make a difference. All excuses designed to tame us, to keep us from being willing to live a life of adventure, will continue to keep us in our boring, life training Mediocrity-inducing cages until we break the chain of those excuses. Excuses that attack our sense of credibility, Moses experienced that. Excuses that exploit our lack of confidence, Moses experienced that too. I said earlier that every adventure comes with excuses, even reasonable ones, that try to bring us back to our senses when we're saying we're going to just kind of drive west and see where things end up, or whatever your version of that is. They try to reattach us to the reasonable, but they also are excuses that try to tame us. And that's true. But isn't it inspiring when you get around someone who has every reason to employ the excuse and then doesn't? Someone that says, yeah, but I'm going to go ahead and go on the adventure anyway. When you get around someone who is afraid of heights and still steps into the basket, yeah, they did it. Not going to find it on eBay, sorry. They didn't just skip the scary part and go right to the lunch. They got in the basket, ropes were cut, and the wind took them where, I don't think Doug was, but where Eliana was very, very nervous about going. I was pleasantly surprised. And even though it seems like a small thing, I was pretty inspired by it. To take that seemingly small illustration and ask myself the question, what bigger things are going undiscovered by me and unexperienced by us as a community because of well-intentioned, reasonable excuses that have gone awry and gone from keeping us uh, in the place where we're simply thinking logically to actually putting us in cages that rob us and our world of what could otherwise be offered to them. Today we're going to finish our time together together by responding to something that you either sat on or had to move in order to sit down when you came to your seat. Because in your seats we placed uh, Compassion International packets. I want to ask you if you would take hold of one of those right now. Maybe there's just one for your uh, family or one for a couple of friends. We don't have enough for everybody, obviously. Our church has been invited on an adventure that was really going to make some difference in people's lives. Not only are we foolish enough, crazy enough to say, let's do a major capital campaign and invest in our community now in this economy uh, by responding to this building needs. We're also saying, and let's not stop there. Let's touch more lives. Let's do more. Let's go on more adventures. This is a much smaller one, but we've been invited to, our church only, give to a village in Kenya, one of the villages that I had the privilege of visiting last year, some help that they need. There's no other church that Compassion is offering this to. This is going to be Marin Covenant and Marin Covenant alone, the Lord through Marin Covenant, giving to a village in Kenya the life that it needs by funding a project that helps mothers who are infected with HIV-AIDS make sure they don't pass that infection on to their infants. And we're going to teach them how to not do that. It's possible not to do that, to to keep that from happening. But because they don't know how, it just keeps being passed on. That village needs this program. And Compassion, I, I said to Compassion, can Marin Covenant please have first shot Not shared with any other churches, just us. Let's connect with this village. My people can do this. Can we have first shot at providing this village with that program? And they said, yeah. And so they sent us these packets. We need to sponsor 65 children in order to fund that project. Some people in the first gathering grabbed some of those packets you're going to grab the rest of those packets. So leave believe two because my wife and I are going to add two more Compassion kids to the Compassion support that we already do. But all of us strategically coming together, doing our small part, make a huge difference there. And then here's the other part of it um, that we're going to do. Uh, after we're done, once we successfully fund that, I'm going to call Compassion International and say, will you put together in 12 to 18 months a trip for us. Now, we can't all go. But for representatives from our church, can we then go to the village, meet the very children that we're sponsoring, and see the program and learn from the people there, Uh, have them carve our hearts out and share with us their wealth uh, so that we can be deeper Christians and more interested in this great adventure and deepen the relationship between our church and the lives the Lord is giving us the privilege of affecting. By the way, that works both ways. You understand everybody has wealth and everybody has poverty, right? They're just different expressions of wealth and poverty. And we'll connect our wealth with their poverty and their wealth with our poverty. And both of us will share uh, with each other. Fill these things out. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. We're going to pray in a moment. And if you're not attached to a packet with some friends or a family or whatever, get attached to one. Read the name on that packet. That's a real child in that particular village. Every single one of these packets are all neighbors in Kenya uh, in the same village. And then I'm going to ask you during a time of silence to actually offer up a silent prayer for that child and that child's family in this HIV-infested part of Kenya and ask you to pray that the Lord would stir us and guide us to respond. And then I'm going to ask you to not put that packet back on your seat, but to actually take the paper out, fill it out as a group of friends, as a family, as a household, even if like us, you're already supporting kids with world vision or world concern or uh, some other way. Let's as a church do this and give this gift to this village. Doesn't that sound like a cool idea? I love that adventure, that challenge. Fill that out. Don't go home today without having filled it out. Pastor Peter or one of his representatives is going to be at the back table right back there with the compassion sign on the table. Take your filled out form and lay it on that table. We'll make sure that compassion gets all the information they need and soon you'll hear from them. And then maybe next year you'll be part of a group. We'll go to Kenya together. We'll meet folks and let them meet us as well. Let's pray. And then we're going to do this and then be dismissed. You know, of all the churches and people that are available to you to be the answer to the prayers of people who are really struggling but hoping in you, you choose us for this one, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving us out, for not leaving us behind, for giving us the privilege of responding with our version of wealth to somebody else's version of poverty, but also for infusing in us, uh, or at least beginning to, the humility it takes to recognize that we too are poor and blind and infected. And there's a wealth upon which we need to depend, a wealth of relationships. Uh, strength of faith tenacity that comes only through hardship Uh, and we need to benefit from it as well and so would you create this reciprocal experience O Lord launch us into this adventure and strengthen us to enjoy the ride as much as you will. Now hear our prayers God for the household's that are represented in the packets we hold in our hands. We pray silently, but we know you hear it loud and clear. And now would you stand and be dismissed with this blessing? You still have a few minutes. You can fill out your, uh, thank you, fill out your, uh, your card there. It, and then just take it to the back table. Um, don't forget, get a, get a wristband. Remember to be praying for the, uh, the project that we have going on here. Connect yourself With a village, let's as a church do something together. This should be a blast, I think. Uh, I want to remind you of this, too. There are folks who uh, love to pray for you, and there are going to be a couple of them coming up front here. If You would like to be prayed for in any way, whether it's related to the things we talked about today or not. uh, Maybe you're wondering what Christianity really is. You've heard it spoken of in a way you haven't thought about it before. They would love to pray with you. They're really great people. So you make your way up and find them, they'll find you, and we can minister to you in that way. Now receive this blessing. May the God of mercy and grace open our eyes so that we can see more fully and more often the mercy and grace He always offers us. And then, may that same God strengthen us to parallel that mercy and grace and to offer it to others. In the name of the Father and the Son,